Blog Talk Radio. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome to the Michael Cutler Hour. I am your host, Michael Cutler. It is Friday. It is March the 19th, 2021. And uh, boy, oh boy, um, the hits just keep on coming. Uh, Although I have to tell you, I was watching uh, Joe Biden uh, trying to get up the stairs for Air Force One. Um, Boy, talk about um, standing on shaky ground. Uh, And it's interesting that... um, Mr. Putin has offered to debate Joe Biden. It's not exactly a national secret that Joe Biden is not at his best. Um, And I suspect he never will be, that I'm not sure what his best ever was. But what we're witnessing right now with this administration and the screwball Congress uh, is a disaster. I don't even call it a crisis. We're beyond crisis and we're into disaster uh, we're into a catastrophe. I don't even know where to begin. Um, I try to be optimistic. I try to keep saying, well, you know, things have to get better. But then I remember my dad, may he rest in peace, uh, used to say to me, nothing is so good it couldn't get better or be so bad it couldn't be made worse. And boy, oh, boy, are we seeing worse. <clears throat> but let's start with the Mexican border. Let's also consider a disturbing headline today. Uh, that ran across all the news media. I happen to uh, have in front of me the article that was posted by CNBC, but it's about what Congress is doing. And where in the world are the Republicans? You know, all of my friends um, who are conservatives, you know, full disclosure, I'm a registered Democrat. Uh, The Democrats are no longer Democrats. I don't know what to call them, anarchists, totalitarians, seditionists, um, self-hating Americans. I, I, I don't know where to go with this. And, and I have to tell you, on my way home today, I was listening to Kamala Harris talking about how we have no tolerance for bigotry in America, but this is the administration that insists uh, on, on white supremacy and, and white privilege. Equality means equality. I would never, ever hold anybody responsible for factors that are beyond their control. I don't know anybody, unless they're delusional or living in a room with padded walls, who, you know, had a voice in whether or not we were born at all. We came into this world unwittingly. Nobody asked to be born a man or a woman. No one asked to be born into any faith or no faith. We don't ask for any of that. We kind of um, get beamed here, if you will, through the birth process, and to evaluate people based on skin color or eye color or hair color or height uh, or, or whatever is nuts. We evaluate people on their actions, on the content of their heart, of their soul, what kind of people they are. Being white or black or purple or having yellow polka dots is not a crime. It's not good. It's not bad. It shouldn't even be a consideration. But all we keep hearing about now is white privilege, 
white supremacists. Uh, it's pushing a lot of Americans into a corner. And when you push people into a corner, they're likely to react some. That's what I fear. There is a constant drumbeat of discrimination based on race. As an agent, uh, as a human being, I was always of the belief that racial profiling was immoral and illegal. And this seems to be what this administration and the politicians on the radical left are all about today. If you're white, then we have certain truths about you. If you're not white, then that's a whole different story. It's outrageous. I'm Jewish. My family was decimated in the Holocaust because of a factor uh, that we had no control over. Uh, We were born into the Jewish faith. And it cost my grandmother and most of her family their lives. I was named for my mother's mother. She couldn't get out of Poland, and the fact that she was a Jew cost her her life in Poland, along with six million others, and how many other millions of people were killed because of the insane rampage of the Third Reich that as it's at its foundation uh, was all about profiling <clears throat> and, 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 you know, uh, deciding who was who based on what I call the superficial, non-controllable factors, race, religion, ethnicity, and so forth. And that's all we're hearing about now. It's craziness. It's divisive. It's dangerous. It's hateful. And, you know, for the longest time, and I just have to tell you this before we get on to the immigration topics, because I have to tell you, my head feels like it wants to explode the past couple of weeks. But if you look at all the rhetoric and all the nonsense and, and, and the approach that's been taken by the administration and by the radical left, um, this is a very dangerous game that they're playing, and it's anti-American. It's anti-American. We're going to defund the police because there's a problem in law enforcement. We should, if you want real law enforcement reform, police reform, let's start by looking at the critical elements and the job descriptions of the law enforcement officers. Are cops or federal agents being evaluated by how many arrests they make? Because everybody on their job wants to do the best possible job so they can get promoted, uh, get bonuses, get rewards, get accolades, get a pat on the back. And if you tell cops that the best way to be successful is to arrest as many people as possible, then you're telling the cops to go out there and have confrontations. Because certainly, if you don't arrest people, you're not going to be seen as an effective police officer. Is that the case? Probably not a good idea. There's other ways to evaluate law enforcement. And we always know the legendary stories about the small towns with the radar traps, the speed traps, so they can use law enforcement as a money-generating tool, not for what it's supposed to be, protect the peace, protect property, and, 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 and protect innocent lives. That's what law enforcement is supposed to be about, to serve and protect. Serving and protecting doesn't necessarily mean making arrests. Certainly, uh, when you have to make arrests, you do, and I've made thousands of arrests as an immigration agent. But how are we evaluating the police, and how are we evaluating law enforcement? Because those evaluations basically are the marching orders that law enforcement officers get when they go on duty each day. They know that if they want to curry favor, if they want to be looked upon favorably, they look at what the elements of their job description and their evaluations call for. And just like the baker that tries to bake a cake and they look to see, well, what are the ingredients? How much flour? How much sugar? How many eggs? 
Isn't that what we do in law enforcement and in other professions? <clears throat> Your boss gives you an evaluation, and the evaluation basically tells you what's expected of you. You want to stop some of the, the, the mindset? Maybe we ought to reconsider the evaluation. Maybe we ought to look harder at the way that we train people in law enforcement and recruit and what the requirements are. There's always room for improvement. I, I don't care what the profession is. We could all do better. I don't care if you're a pilot or a neurosurgeon or a shoe salesman uh, or, or a teacher or a police officer or a federal agent. We can all aspire to do better. But rather than putting the blame squarely on the shoulders of the police officers, why don't we look at the politicians who write the laws, create the evaluations and the standards that we expect these law enforcement officers to meet, um, and then when they do their jobs, they're second-guessed and third-guessed. Uh, and when you're out there and your life is on the line, the life of your partners or innocent people are on the line, it's not the same as sitting in an air-conditioned office where you have three weeks to decide on an action that a law enforcement officer took with only a second or two to make a fast decision that may have had profound consequences. But what we're hearing now is the police are evil, so let's defund the police. And I wrote an article not long ago where I said, well, there are certainly some cops who shouldn't be cops, just like there are teachers who shouldn't be teachers and, and, and so-called journalists who shouldn't be journalists. And I could think of a whole bunch of politicians who shouldn't be anywhere near elected office, okay? So we know that that happens. But to hold an entire profession accountable when a couple of bad actors do some pretty bad things is crazy. If you look at how many people die because of medical malpractice, because of doctors and nurses and other medical professionals, the numbers are shocking. Johns Hopkins did a study, and they're certainly reputable. Johns Hopkins did a study. The medical school at Johns Hopkins did a couple of years ago. And if I tell you how many people they said died of medical malpractice, you'd probably fall on your rear end. There we go. I have no idea what just happened. Uh, maybe I upset somebody somewhere by what we're talking about, so forgive me for the interruption. Uh, wow, that's never happened before. You really have to wonder when things like this happen, why they happen, don't you? Well, in any event, um, Johns Hopkins came up with the figure that 250,000 people died of medical malpractice back in 2018. 250,000. Have you ever heard of anybody calling for the defunding of hospitals or clinics or medical centers? Of course not. And the number of people who are killed because of bad police uh, is a very tiny number. I don't care if the number is one. It's unacceptable. I'm not trying to minimize it. That's not my point. But the point is where but today with the radical lunatics could they, could they suggest that the solution to bad police officers is to defund the police rather than try to figure out how to fix what's broken? Think about that. Think about that. And, and, you know, on the left, they always think the solution to a problem is to throw money at it. But not in law enforcement, folks. Let's defund the police. Wow. It's astonishing. 
And what they're doing with the police is what they've been doing with immigration for many years, and it's both political parties. It started with Jimmy Carter saying that immigration employees will no longer use the term illegal aliens, that during the census illegal aliens would not be arrested because they needed to be counted, which was a way of gerrymandering. Think about that. Ronald Reagan, my gosh, the damage he did is incalculable. And my friends on the right get very upset because Ronald Reagan was a very important guy to them, but not to me, to be honest with you. He gave us the visa waiver program, which was nuts. He gave us the diversity visa, and that was signed into law by George Herbert Walker Bush, and he gave us the amnesty. Wow. He worked closely with Chuck Schumer. He worked closely with Ted Kennedy, and he gave us an amnesty that was supposed to involve about a million illegal aliens. It wound up with almost four million. And it's remarkable how the numbers are being skewed by people who lie through their teeth. Uh, There was a guy on the other day on a program. He was introduced as a professional immigration expert, and he said there's no longer a problem with immigration. I believe they taped the program within the last year, though. People were leaving the United States and heading back to Mexico because they don't want to be here. I I just think about that. He was with the Pew, uh, Pew Research. And he said that the Reagan amnesty gave us about two and a half million. It was over three and a half million. But he said that the problem was resolving itself because people were leaving. (laughs) Did he ever stop to watch the caravans heading north? People are leaving. Did he ever bother to read any of the congressional hearing testimony? So it's lie after lie, nonsense after nonsense. The American people don't know what to believe. The simple use of the term immigrant to describe illegal aliens has everyone convinced that if, in point of fact, you want immigration laws enforced, you're anti-immigrant. That's how the media describes it. And that includes some so-called conservative programs. So-and-so is pro-immigrant. No, the guy's pro-amnesty. That's not pro-immigrant. The same laws that tell us who to keep out and who to kick out tell us who to admit. And the people who are supposed to be kept out and kicked out are people who are criminals and terrorists and aliens with dangerous diseases and spies and human rights violators and human traffickers and drug smugglers and people who would take the jobs of American and lawful immigrant workers. So how in the world do you then say, oh, you're pro-immigrant if you want amnesty? Because when criminals come into the United States, they live within the ethnic immigrant communities. And guess what? The people they victimize are the members of the immigrant communities. And it's not just from Latin America. This isn't about brown skin. Another big lie. As an immigration agent, I worked very closely with the Israeli National Police. I sent one guy back to Israel to stand trial for murder. He killed a Palestinian prostitute. He was found guilty and given a lengthy jail sentence. I was very happy I was able to find this guy and send him home to stand justice. I got an award from the government of Japan for sending home a Japanese woman who was part of a drug ring operating between the United States and Japan. I worked with the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. I was the, the case agent on an arrest of an individual wanted for, wanted for his part in a murder back in England. This isn't about race, religion, or ethnicity. If the immigration laws were, I could not have enforced those laws for 30 seconds, let alone 30 years. Think about that. But that's where we are today. Lie after lie because the immigration system has become a delivery system that delivers an unlimited supply of cheap, exploitable labor, foreign students, foreign tourists, and for the lawyers in both parties, an unlimited supply of clients for the immigration law firms. That's where we are. 
<clears throat> so Joe Biden won't admit that what's going on on the border is a crisis. It's a challenge. They've interviewed Alejandro Mayorkas, and I love it that the big emphasis is that he's the first, you know, Latino to be the to be the head of DHS. What does that have to do with his qualifications? What is being white or black or purple or green, gay or straight? What does that have to do with your ability to do the job? It doesn't have anything to do with it. And Mayorkas, and I've written about him for Front Page Magazine, was investigated by the Office of Inspector General during the Obama administration when he headed up Citizenship and Immigration Services, the agency that adjudicates applications for asylum and green cards and visas and even United States citizenship. And they said that he played politics with the visa process and that it was undermining the morale of the people that worked there. And that ABC News did an extensive report about the nexus between what he did and the potential for terrorists to gain entry into the United States. There's a great movie that I love, I, Robot, that stars Will Smith. <clears throat> I read I, Robot back in fifth grade, written by Isaac Asimov. It was my first science fiction novel. I've been hooked on them ever since. There's a great scene where Will Smith's character, a police officer, is warning people that the robots are going to ultimately attack the humans, and nobody wants to believe him. And, of course, it happens. And the great line that he comes up with is, somehow I told you so, doesn't quite say it. And I had talked about Mayorkas, and to my understanding, nobody during the confirmation hearings on either side of the aisle raised the issue about his having been investigated by the Office of Inspector General. Could it be that the Republicans are thrilled with the way things are? You have to wonder. And then you have the, pardon me, this article that just came out that I mentioned, CNBC, and, and the headline is House passes two immigration bills that would establish a path to citizenship for millions. And the Democrats were saying, we're not going to consider any kind of an amnesty until you secure the border. We're back to that nonsense again. First of all, the border should be secured irrespective of anything else because, as the 9-11 Commission pointed out, this is about keeping terrorists as well as criminals uh, and aliens with dangerous diseases and so forth out of the United States. And if you go to Title VIII, United States Code, Section 1182, it lays out why we deport people or why we keep people out. It's the categories for excluding people. And it's all about public safety, public health, national security, and the jobs and wages of Americans. What in the world is wrong with that? But the bigger issue that no one's focusing on <clears throat> is what happens when aliens are found on the border. And there was a big deal because... Four aliens who came from the Middle East and were identified as terrorists were stopped by DHS or by the CBP, Customs and Border Protection, and everyone said, oh, my God, they caught four. Well, that's great. I'm glad they caught them. Who didn't they catch? And understand that most terrorists aren't on any terror watch list. And, in fact, there was another article not long ago. This was, uh, this was really shocking. Breitbart reported this, and this was back on September the 26th, 2016. You're going to love this article, folks. This is Breitbart reporting. Leaked FBI data reveals 7,700 terrorist encounters in the USA in one year, border states most targeted, 7,700. And if you read what the 9-11 Commission warned about, it's that when we allow people into the country, because they've, they've, they've made an application for a benefit, or maybe they've been given a court date, they disappear. 
and they are then free to carry out terror attacks. That's the issue that scares the heck out of me. Because if, if you understand, if you understand exactly what we're talking about, please understand the crisis that we have is that the aliens who are being arrested and then released, catch and release, are heading to the interior of the United States, and they're being told that they're going to have to appear before an immigration judge at some point in the future, likely years from now, years from now. Think about that. We're not talking about next week or next month, which is the way it used to be. The system has melted. The system doesn't exist. The system has been overwhelmed. And this is a failure by design because this is the immigration delivery system. So while these people are in the United States, pardon me, if we don't know who they are, what are they up to while they're, you know, hanging out in towns and cities across America? Everyone keeps talking about the border states, the border states. Okay. And what's happening in the other states that aren't the border states? I want to read something to you because, as I told Jim Sensenbrenner when he was chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, we had a meeting. I said, Mr. Chairman, if I can't sleep at night, sure as hell I don't want you sleeping at night. So the 9-11 Commission report uh, has a companion document, the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel that was written by the attorneys and federal agents who were assigned to the 9-11 Commission. This was an official report published by the government printing office. I make the point because um, this isn't some tabloid. This isn't, you know, some crazy thing somebody wrote. This is an official government report that addresses the issue of how terrorists were able to travel around the world and gain entry to the United States. Very, very important. Now, if you look at what the politicians are proposing, number one, it's DACA. Anybody who came in as a child could get legal status and a path to citizenship. If there's no capacity to interview these people and there's no capacity to do field investigations, how in the world do you know when they really got here? Just like the amnesty Biden is now proposing, they have to have come in uh, sometime this year. They they had to be here prior to this year. If they're not here prior to January, they're out of luck. I think January 20th, the day that he was sworn in. Well, Who's going to know when they got here? If you run the border, there's no record of your entry. And people will sell receipts. There's a whole desktop publishing industry that sprang up with the Reagan amnesty. And back then, think of how crude the computers were back in 1986. And think about what you're able to do on a computer today in 2021. It's a quantum leap in technology. People will commit fraud. They will sell rent receipts. Uh, I mean, there's a million ways to defraud the system. That's why immigration fraud was identified as a key issue. And you've got the Republicans saying, well, if you secure the border, then we'll negotiate. No, you need to hire agents. You need to hire judges. You need to hire agents by the thousands. We have 6,000 ICE agents, and if you're lucky, 2,000 were doing immigration work. Now with Biden, almost none of them are doing immigration work. And this is something that George W. Bush did when he created the Department of Homeland Surrender, as I call DHS, because he blended immigration with customs and agriculture and with all these other agencies that have nothing to do with immigration, even though we knew when DHS was created, the whole point was to emphasize border security and immigration law enforcement. John Hostetler was the Republican chairman of the House Judiciary, House Immigration Subcommittee. 
And he was crystal clear. I was at a hearing with him when he made that point. And he said that what the Bush administration gave us was immigration incoherence, even after we knew that immigration, not customs laws, were the issue. And Bush purposely appointed people to run immigration who had no background in immigration whatsoever. There might have been one or two that did, but for the most part, these were people who had zero immigration background, zero inclination to enforce immigration laws. It was his desire to dismantle immigration. And it was under Bush, you may not remember this, but Ramos and Kumpi on two Border Patrol agents were arrested and prosecuted for doing their job on the border when they engaged in a shootout with a drug smuggler. They claimed they saw a gun and they fired at him. He got across the border and they were accused of, you know, (laughs) crimes because they did their job. And the Bush administration prosecutor did not let the, the defense attorneys know that this guy that was involved in this incident had prior stops with Border Patrol with huge sums of narcotics and was actually caught afterwards with more drugs coming into the country. And one of those two Border Patrol agents wound up in solitary confinement when he was beaten within an inch of his life, and he spent a couple of years in solitary. We don't do that to the terrorists. That would have been called cruel and inhuman, but it was okay to do it to Border Patrol agents, and that happened on George W.'s watch. Parties are in on this. Both parties. Let me read a couple of quick things to you so that you understand that what's happening on the border affects you. You know, most people are thinking, well, I don't live in Texas. I don't live in Arizona. Why should I care? I live in, you know, Omaha, Nebraska. I, I, I live in Portland, Maine. I, you know, wherever. Pick some place. Well, guess what? Anybody who gains access to the United States, you go to a sanctuary city or a sanctuary state, you can get a driver's license, you can take that license and go anywhere you want to go in the United States, rent a vehicle, and carry out an attack. Because the weapon of choice these days, not airplanes, but motor vehicles, that's why. Go, go walk around the center of your town. What do you see everywhere? Barriers to protect buildings against what? Car bombs and truck bombs. But New York State, the state that was damaged the worst on 9-11, not only gives illegal aliens driver's licenses, but blocks the information from immigration and customs and the Border Patrol and the inspectors at ports of entry. You want the license plate? Great. Give us a subpoena, give us the information, and when we get around to it, after we have a party next week or in two weeks or in three weeks, we'll get back to you. We need the information in real time. We used to have the computer in the radio room. I know I was trained to operate that computer. It's gone from what I've been told. You want to run the tag? Comes back, no access. Why? You're immigration. Immigration is evil. The agency that the 9-11 Commission said needed to get more resources and needed to get more people and more money and so forth. They want to get rid of it. They're talking about getting rid of ICE. And I find it absolutely remarkable that Nancy Pelosi, over the riot at the Capitol on January 6th, is now thumping the podium, we need a 9-11-style commission. We need to find out what happened on January 6th. The people that participated in that riot need to be prosecuted and throw the book at them. I have no problem with that. But to compare 9-11 to what happened at the Capitol, and if you watch the testimony, the FBI did not recover any weapons from the rioters. The only gunshots that were fired were fired by a Capitol officer that struck an unarmed woman and killed her. We still don't know the name of the guy that pulled that trigger. Isn't that remarkable? But we're here to compare what happened there with 9-11, 
And when you saw the people trying to tear down the fences around the White House and they set fire to the church, well, Nancy keeps talking about the peaceful demonstrators. I guess setting fire to churches and trying to attack the White House is not an act of insurrection. That's how you do a quiet, peaceful demonstration. The ability this woman has to lie is incredible. Is incredible. She should get an Academy Award for acting badly. But she's so hung up on the 9-11 Commission, I'd like to know if she read the damn report. And if she did, I'd like her to explain how she and her friends in Congress, both sides of the aisle, want to violate all of the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission. Because that's what they propose every time they talk about comprehensive immigration reform. And that's why back in 06, I wrote an op-ed for the Washington Times where I said they should rename comprehensive immigration reform and give it an honest and more truthful name. I recommended that we call it the Terrorist Assistance and Facilitation Act. And, in fact, Jeff Sessions, then senator from, from uh, Alabama, liked what I said so much, he quoted me from the floor of the Senate on three separate days during the floor debate, and the bill was defeated, that he then sent me a certificate commemorating the fact that it was his belief that his ability to use my words convinced enough of his colleagues in the Senate to vote down dangerous legislation. Of course, today I would also add a second title to it, the Overwhelm America Act, because if we legalize the 25 or 30 million, forget the 11 million that we believe are here, maybe more, what no one talks about is they could then immediately bring in all of their minor children and their spouses. So if on average each legalized alien has four kids, they might have 10, they might have 15. And with Mayorkas there, I doubt they're going to do DNA testing. So I'm sure people will offer people money and say, here, I've got a 16-year-old son, I want you to petition for him. If you don't do DNA testing, we have no ability to interview 30 million people. How do you do that? We could wind up with 100 million, we could wind up with 150 million, we could wind up with 200 million people, not just from Latin America, but from all over the world. It's not just people from Mexico that are coming into the United States through the Mexican border. That's why we keep finding more and more special interest aliens, aliens from countries that sponsor terrorism, trying to run the border. And while the Border Patrol is playing nursemaid to the kids, the border is unprotected. If you want to look up something in history, we don't erase history around here, look up the Calais Deception, Operation Fortitude, in order to be able to be successful in our invasion at Normandy, the Allied forces convinced the Nazis that we were coming in through Calais. They even took the body of, of a dead soldier. Poor guy was killed. They dressed him up in a suit. They handcuffed a briefcase to his wrist and put bogus top-secret documents in the briefcase detailing how the plan was to come through Calais. General Patton, who had fallen out of favor, was made to lead basically an entire division of the army that consisted of inflatable tanks and jeeps, but from the air they looked real. And we succeeded in causing the Nazis to divide their resources, because otherwise, if they had simply had all their forces at Normandy, we wouldn't have succeeded. We got them to divide their resources, and that's how we overpowered the Nazis. Today, the children are overpowering the Border Patrol. And it's remarkable that this most transparent of all government administrations refuses to let anybody near the detention centers. I wonder how long these so-called journalists will have the stomach to be lied to and be made to look like idiots. I'd be embarrassed to call myself a journalist, especially if I'm sitting there at the White House 
and they're thumbing their nose at these people, and they're sitting there like a bunch of school children uh, that were told to stay after school. When can we see the, 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 the detention facilities? Well, talk to DHS. Well, don't they answer to you? Yes. So can we see the detention facilities? No, talk to DHS. Well, why won't you tell them that we want to see them? I don't know. Give them a call, see what they tell you. And they're just sitting there playing, I don't know what. It's a game. And this is endangering national security. But I want to get back to this 9-11 Commission staff report. Because what people are forgetting is that as these people are pouring in, guess what's happening? You know, in fact, the preface of the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel begins with this sentence. It is perhaps obvious to state that terrorists cannot plan and carry out attacks in the United States if they're unable to enter the country. Yet prior to September 11, while there were efforts to enhance border security, no agency of the U.S. government thought of border security as a tool in the counterterrorism arsenal. Indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa, and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. How in the world could they not figure it out? You're a leader and you don't get it that if you can't keep people out of your country, you're vulnerable? Do you lock your door at night? The idiots in Washington were able to put up those fences around the Capitol building, probably because they're afraid that Americans will get so angry at some point that... Not, not, not crazy people, but, but millions of Americans may descend on Washington. God only knows. You know, it's like the limbo. How low can they go, right? So it, 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 but it finishes this way. It says, indeed, even after 19 hijackers demonstrated the relative ease of obtaining a U.S. visa and gaining admission into the United States, border security still is not considered a cornerstone of national security policy. But we believe, for reasons we discussed the following pages, it must be made one. You think? You think? But it gets worse. It really gets worse. Because it talks about immigration fraud. And I, I want you to think about these agricultural workers. If they work for a certain amount of time and if they agree they're going to continue to work, let me tell you, we did investigations into some of these farms. There was one farm in particular. It was a relatively small farm in upstate New York. And if every alien who filed a petition claiming that they had worked on this farm, if they all showed up on the same day, because they were all working there supposedly at the same time, there would have been no room for crops because there were so many aliens involved that those, that farm would have looked like a New York City subway car during the rush hour. And it turned out that the owner of the farm was giving them sworn statements saying, yes, this guy worked for me. And he was being paid. I, I forgot what the number was. It was a couple of thousand dollars. They committed fraud. We happened to have caught them. And by the way, the owner of the farm had himself come here from the Middle East, and immediately he fled the country when he realized that we were about to arrest him. He's probably still a fugitive. And I can tell you that during one of my trips into Manhattan, uh, to be on, I don't know if it was Fox News or one of the networks, they always sent a car for me. On one particular day, the driver of, of my vehicle had a very heavy Middle Eastern accent. And I decided I'd play dumb and just see what I could find out. And I, I asked him, I said, where are you from? He said, oh, I'm from Lebanon. I said, wow, how long have you been living here? He said, oh, I came during the Reagan time. I said, oh, really? He said, oh, yes. He said, boy, do you know how stupid Reagan was? The guy was a complete imbecile. We always make jokes about Reagan being the biggest fool we ever knew. I said, wait a minute. You came to the United States with 
President Reagan was the president, and you're insulting him like that? He said, yes, the guy was an idiot. Well, I felt almost like Ed McMahon in the old Johnny Carson routine. Well, how dumb was he? He said, well, he said, all you had to do is say you worked on a farm, and they gave you permission to stay here, and then you could bring your family here. I said, okay, and you worked on a farm? He said, no, I've never been on a farm. But nobody did any investigation. I just put in my application. It took a couple of months. And bango, I got my, my, my card. So I called all my friends back in my town in Lebanon. And I said, listen, sneak into the country. Get yourself a green card by claiming to be a farm worker. And they did. He said, you know, my whole village is here. And every month we get together and we have a dinner. And we always toast. Ronald Reagan and the idiots who ran the immigration service. I felt very special. I felt extremely special. They did find some fraud, but it was very rare. And we've seen where this is a problem. In fact, let me read this to you to make the point. You know, once the border is secure, we'll have an amnesty. Really? This is, again, the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel. These are their words. Once terrorists had entered the United States, their next challenge was to find a way to remain here. Their primary method was immigration fraud. What was the point to this report? Pelosi wants a 9-11 commission-style report. Okay, immigration fraud. What are we doing to fight immigration fraud? And by the way, this was no secret. I testified at my very first congressional hearing back on May 20th, 1997, four years before 9-11, because two terror attacks carried out in the United States in 93 were only possible because of aliens who had committed immigration fraud. So they looked at that and said, we've got to address it. And, of course, the Clinton administration created this program called CUSIS, Citizenship USA, where we naturalized 1.1 million aliens, and district directors of the old INS were told if they didn't approve their quota of, of applications, they would be fired. Because if you're senior executive service, you have no job security. You will deliver all those approved applications or you will be fired. Unbelievable. So they said right here, their primary method to remain here was immigration fraud. For example, Yusuf and Ajaj concocted bogus political asylum stories and they arrived in the United States. And these people are applying for asylum. And they're all saying when you look at the interviews, folks, what do they say? I'm a poor person. I want a good job. That's not why you get asylum. Economic refugees need not apply. People who live in violent countries need not apply. Standard people who live in Baltimore and people who live in Chicago ought to be able to get asylum somewhere because those cities are more violent than most cities in the Middle East today. Okay? But here's the point that I really want you to focus on. Think about the agricultural worker visas. Okay? It goes on and says, Mahmoud Abu Alima, involved in both the World Trade Center and landmark plots, received temporary residence under the Seasonal Agriculture Worker Program after falsely claiming he picked beans in Florida. Mohammed Salome, who rented the truck used in the bombing, overstayed his tourist visa. He then applied for permanent residency under the Agriculture Worker Program, but was rejected. The Yad Mahmoud Ishmael, who drove the van containing the bomb, took English language classes at Wichita State University in Kansas on a student visa. After he dropped out, he remained in the United States out of status. So these guys are illegal aliens. One drove the truck with the bomb, and the other one rented the truck so they could put the bomb in the truck. And Mahmoud Abu Alima never worked on the farm. He claimed he worked on a farm in Florida, was never there. 
The closest he came to a farm was when he drove a taxi cab past Central Park repeatedly. By the way, his driver's license had been suspended numerous times, and yet we never deported him. And he was one of the key people in the bombing at the Trade Center in 93 that killed six, injured over a 1,000, and inflicted a half a billion, $500 million in damages, almost brought the tower down sideways. And if that had happened, God only knows. The tower would have hit the other buildings. The seawall would have ruptured. Lower Manhattan would have been flooded. The terrorists claimed that their goal was to kill 250,000. Some of my sources that worked on the explosion said if the tower had fallen, it could have been more than 250,000 people. And now we're talking about an amnesty with no agents, no judges, no resources, and we're going to give millions of people identity documents and lawful status. And you know, when our special forces took out bin Laden, when they seized his library in the compound, they noticed in the inventory two things that jumped off at the, on the page at me. They got a copy of the 9-11 Commission report. Clearly, he was studying what we knew about how he operated. And they also found an application for U.S. citizenship. U.S. citizenship. That if you look at the, uh, and you look at the indictments, of terrorists who've been arrested in the United States, almost always their handlers told them, wait to travel until you get citizenship in the United States and get a U.S. passport. Because they understood that if they had a U.S. passport plus a passport from their native country and they could change their name when they got the U.S. passport, they could cover their tracks as they moved around the world. So the terrorists understand the value of U.S. citizenship, but our own politicians don't, and they don't care. And they don't care. And now it's up to the Senate, and I'm going to beg you, please forward a copy of this podcast to everyone you can. Please look at the articles that I've written for Front Page. And look at the article I just wrote, by the way, for the American Conservative. Um, I I think it's a pretty good article talking about how Biden, um, through his immigration policies, make Americans last. This is all about Americans last, not Americans first. Whether you like Trump or not, he had a tough personality. I wasn't always happy with the guy. But you would imagine the president of a country would be most concerned about his own citizens, not Biden, not Joe Biden. Joe Biden said, oh, no, no, we can't have America first. We certainly can't have Americans first. And every time I hear, well, the least we could do for the immigrants, you know what my question is, folks? What's the least that we could do for Americans and American children? And when you look at American kids living in poverty, particularly American kids of color, what they're doing today is scapegoating white people, white privilege, white supremacists. What's really happening is we're flooding America with foreign workers who work for substandard wages under substandard conditions. They're displacing Americans. They're making it more and more difficult for Americans to get jobs, to live decent lives. And the incredible part of it is the message from the media is that this is because somehow white supremacy, white supremacy. We are importing more foreign workers than the number of new jobs we're creating, and now, of course, with COVID. And the government admitted that they released people into the United States who have COVID. So they're creating a mass catastrophe event. We're going to dump lots of people throughout the United States. They may have tested positive for COVID. So we can't go to 
church or synagogue or the mall, and you can't sit down in a restaurant. They're starting to loosen things up a little bit, you know. But my goodness. But you're taking people who have COVID and you're turning them loose in the United States? And if these people get sick, they're going to need hospital beds, they're going to need vaccines, and we're racing to try to get Americans vaccinated. So, again, people who shouldn't be here are competing with Americans for health care, for vaccines, for jobs. And as you dump more people into the United States, the cost of housing goes up, the supply and demand, right? So we wind up with more homelessness. More American families are losing their houses. And when you become homeless, you may lose your child. So with all the talk about how we've separated the kids at the border, no one seems to give a rat's tail that American families are being ripped apart because of poverty, because of COVID, and because the American workers are being made to compete with foreign workers. And not just the illegal aliens, but the high-tech workers. Dan Rather did a report called No Thanks for Everything, where he interviewed, I believe it was four people who were computer programmers. These were five Beta Kappa graduates. They were doing the jobs for many years. They were getting excellent evaluations, and suddenly they were fired and replaced by workers from India. And many of them couldn't get another job in the industry. What do you do if you're 50 years old, you're 55 years old, and you lose your job? Who's going to hire you? Nobody. Nobody. Abe Lincoln talked about America being a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. I want to know which people he was talking about, because sure as hell, it's not the American people, is it? It blows my mind. To go back to an analogy I've made, no rational person would get on an airplane if they saw people running past the TSA. If you have people evading the inspections process... At ports of entry, and Chuck Schumer, and Nancy Pelosi, and Joe Biden, and Kamala Harris say, oh, that's great, let's make them Americans. And all the weak-kneed Republicans, just as bad as the Democrats, are saying, well, first secure the border. Well, the last time they said, let's have the first secure the border act, you'd laugh, except it was terrible what they called secure the border. We're going to get 90% operational control over the high-traffic areas and we'll, we'll look to see what happens in five years. Five years. How many people come in in five years? How many terrorists do you need to blow up America? It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. They talked about operational control over 90, 90% operational control. How do you know when you've reached 90%? How do you know what a high-traffic area is and what happens when the smugglers move 18 miles down the road? Is that still a high-traffic area? Maybe not. This is bunk. If you really want to make certain that we're not letting in people who want to hurt us, then what you're supposed to do is seal off the goddamn border, not 90%, 100%. 100%. My real concern is that Iran is racing to get nuclear weapons. What in the world is going to happen if we try to stop them and they decide to activate their sleeper agents in the United States? Their sleeper agents. By the way... Judicial Watch published a story October 18, 2018. Here's the title, not the stuff for a bedtime story. 100 ISIS terrorists caught in Guatemala as Central American caravan heads to the United States. That was uh, two and a half years ago during the Trump administration. And it starts out by saying, in a startling revelation, Guatemala's president announced in the country's largest newspaper that nearly 100 ISIS terrorists were apprehended in the impoverished Central American nation. 
And where were they heading? To our border. Now, what's really interesting, and I've read it before, but I'm going to read it to you again because I'm hopeful that you're going to pass the link to this podcast to your friends and please ask them to sit down and listen for an hour. Goodness gracious. There was a hearing that was held on April 17, 2018, by the House Counterterrorism and Intelligence Subcommittee. I want to know why they have these damn hearings. I've testified at something like 16 or 17 hearings. I wish they had listenings. What's the point? Because they are ignoring and violating all of the findings and recommendations of the 9-11 Commission. They're ignoring all of the testimony, not just that I provided, but that probably hundreds of experts have provided. What was the point? But Nancy wants a 9-11-style commission to look at what happened on January 6th. I'd like to see someone look at what happened at the White House a couple of months earlier, but that's another story. So here is testimony that I want you to think about. One of the experts who testified at the hearing was a gentleman by the name of Dr. Emmanuel Ottolenge of the Foundation for the Defense of Democracy. And none of the other witnesses disagreed. I, I can tell you it can get contentious. You say one thing, another witness disagrees, and it goes back and forth. Everybody was in agreement that Autolenge was getting it right. It's chilling. Let me read this to you. In recent years, Hezbollah's Latin American networks have also increasingly cooperated with violent drug cartels and criminal syndicates. Now think about that. Most people, when you say Hezbollah, they think Middle East, Lebanon, right? They, they originated in Lebanon. They're being controlled by Iran right now. Iran funds them and directs them. What are they doing in Latin America? Lots of very bad things, let me tell you. It's believed that there could be as many as 100,000 members of Hezbollah scattered all over the place. Let me start it again. In recent years, Hezbollah's Latin American networks have also increasingly cooperated with violent drug cartels and criminal syndicates, often with the assistance of local corrupt political elites. You've got to wonder if that doesn't apply in the United States to some of these folks, right? Cooperation includes laundering of drug money, arranging multi-ton shipments of cocaine to the United States and Europe, and directly distributing and selling illicit substances to distant markets. Proceeds from these activities finance Hezbollah's arms procurement, its terror activities overseas, its hold on Lebanon's political system and its efforts both in Lebanon and overseas to keep Shias communities loyal to its cause and complicit in its endeavors. But now this next sentence, keeps me staring at my ceiling many nights, more nights than I want to think about. This toxic crime terror nexus, that is Hezbollah with the drug traffickers and human traffickers, right? This toxic crime terror nexus is fueling both the rising threat of global jihadism and the collapse of law and order across Latin America. Latin America, right? That is helping to drive drugs and people northward into the United States. Think of those caravans, folks. It is sustaining Hezbollah's growing financial needs. It is helping Iran and Hezbollah consolidate a local constituency in multiple countries across Latin America, our hemisphere, right? It is thus facilitating their efforts to build safe havens for terrorists and a continent-wide terror infrastructure that they could use to strike U.S. targets. Who is mixed in among those hundreds of thousands? There's no capacity to interview them the way you want to or do field investigations. And if they show up with no documents, where are we? Undocumented? No scorecard? 
and they released them. I just read what happens. Well, you know what happens. They're then free to, to prepare to attack us. In fact, that was another sentence that you need to hear from the 9-11 Commission staff report on terrorist travel as soon as I get to it. Because this is a nightmare scenario. And it's not as though we haven't been attacked. We've been attacked by terrorists a number of times. A number of times. Um, by the way, there was another article from the Center for Immigration Studies. Study reveals 72 terrorists came from countries covered by the Trump vetting order. You know, what they call the Muslim-majority countries. Now, these are countries where we couldn't vet the people. We couldn't screen them. This wasn't about keeping Muslims out because Indonesia, Pakistan, and India was not on the list. Those are the three most populous Muslim-majority countries. This is about keeping out terrorists. And Biden immediately said, oh, we're not going to have the Muslim ban. Wonderful. Wonderful. I mean, this is really frightening. Uh, by the way, here's something else to read. There was a paragraph in that, uh, that report that I've been quoting today. It's Chapter 3.2, Terrorist Travel Tactics by Plot. Here is an excerpt that appeared on page 54 of the report. Although there's evidence that some land and sea border entries of terrorists without inspection occurred, these conspirators mainly subverted the legal entry system by entering at airports. So while we're talking about the Mexican border, and I assure there are terrorists coming across that border now, this goes back again to right after 9-11 that, that we're talking about that prior report. But what's happening at the airports? What's happening on the northern border? What's happening with people stowing away on ships and disappearing once the ship gets to shore here in the United States? We're focusing on one hole in what I call the immigration colander. Okay? And so the, this report goes on and says, and in so doing, legal entry, in so doing, they relied on a wide variety of fraudulent documents, on aliases and on government corruption. Because terrorist operations were not suicide missions in the early to mid-1990s, once in the United States, terrorists and their supporters tried to get legal immigration status. Here we go again. In other words, amnesty, folks, or get married or, or whatever. Get legal immigration status that would permit them to remain here primarily by committing serial or repeated immigration fraud, by claiming political asylum, are they not doing that, and by marrying Americans. Many of these tactics have remained largely unchanged and undetected throughout the 1990s up to the 9-11 attack. And then it says this, thus abuse of the immigration system and a lack of interior immigration enforcement were unwittingly working together to support terrorist activity. Think sanctuary cities when you think about no interior enforcement. Okay? It would remain largely unknown, again, going back to the report, since no agency of the U.S. government analyzed ter terrorist travel patterns until after 9-11. This lack of attention meant that critical opportunities to disrupt terrorist travel and therefore deadly terrorist operations were missed. Interior enforcement. Interior enforcement. Think about that. Um, and, and then here, page 61. In July 2001, the CIA warned of a possible link between human smugglers and terrorist groups, including Hamas, Hezbollah, and the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. Indeed, there's evidence to suggest that since 1999, human smugglers have facilitated the travel of terrorists associated with more than a dozen extremist groups. With their global reach and connections to fraudulent document vendors, what I've been saying, and corrupt government officials, human smugglers clearly have the, quote, credentials necessary to aid terrorist travel. How clear is this? How dumb do you have to be to not figure this one out? And, and, and this is where we are today. And you have 
people flowing into this country, disappearing for years. And what are we doing to protect America and Americans? Nothing. Nothing. And, and, and so when you understand that, and you understand that there's a clear nexus between this and terrorism, you have to wonder what the hell we're doing and why we're doing it. Uh, by the way, let me just read this to you. Terrorists in the 1990s, as well as the September 11th hijackers, needed to find a way to stay in or embed themselves in the United States if their operational plans were to come to fruition. As already discussed, this could be accomplished legally by marrying an American citizen, achieving temporary worker status, or applying for asylum after entering. Again, asylum. In many cases, the act of filing for an immigration benefit sufficed to permit the alien to remain in the country until the petition was adjudicated. The same thing happens with catch and release, folks. They're here. That's all they want to be. Again, reading from the report, terrorists were therefore free to conduct surveillance, coordinate operations, obtain and receive funding, go to school and learn English, make contacts in the United States, acquire necessary materials, and execute an attack. And so we're turning people loose into the interior of the country. Immigration agents have been told to stand down and make no arrests unless they get prior authorization or else. If, God forbid, there's a terror attack, I will tell you who to point the fingers at. It's this administration, and it's the members of Congress, and it's the mayors and governors of sanctuary jurisdictions. They should all get an award from the cartels, from the smugglers, and from the terrorists. Please share this information with everyone you can. Please check out my articles at frontpagemag.com, especially my latest article over at the American Conservative, the title, by the way, of my article for American Conservative, Biden's Immigration Agenda Puts Americans Last. Is that not indeed the case? You have to be involved, folks. This is about the future of our country. And if we talk about the future of our country, we're certainly talking about the future of our children and our children's children. These aren't left-right issues. And the people that seem to think that one party is better than the other, look, Joe Biden has made it abundantly clear that he wants a wide-open border. But where in the world are the Republicans if they're really the heroes in this story? Please reach out to all of your elected representatives. Make them understand just how dangerous all of this is. Uh, After 9-11, everyone wanted to know why the dots weren't connected. Well, I just connected the dots yet again. Please remember, folks, democracy is not a spectator sport. Stay well. Stay safe. And we'll see you right here next week on the Michael Cutler Hour. Have a great weekend, everybody. See you then.